the Murder Mystery Podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's The Venetian Affair. Episode 17. After breakfast, Olivia decides to put into action the next stage of her investigation. She needs to find out more about the relationship between Jess and Scott, but her friend is never going to volunteer anything about her connection to the Goodman family. Even though Olivia doesn't like the technique, as it goes against her professionalism, she knows that the only way to find out is to set a trap. Olivia messages Jess and asks if she is free for coffee at eleven, and the woman confirms immediately. Olivia suggests a café in Giudecca, the island that sits in the lagoon to the south of the main city. She skims through the numbers in her phone, chooses one, and sends a message with her number blocked, then sets off to recce the area before the rendezvous. She catches a vaporetto across to the island and walks to Al Redentori restaurant, which has large umbrellas and a view of San Marco across the water. She takes a table slightly away from the others and orders mint tea while she waits. Jess is on time. She is wearing a white shift dress, with her hair tied up in a messy top knot and large Gucci sunglasses despite the overcast morning. Do you know, says Jess immediately as she sits down at the table, I've spent three days phoning around to my friends apologising for that damn woman at the opening. What did they say? Oh, they were lovely, understanding, you know, says Jess, but so bloody embarrassing. She was unhappy, says Olivia. Have you spoken to her? Not since that night, but she told me before. Christina has been bullying her. A waitress takes their order, and Olivia intentionally leads the conversation into the inconsequential, so that Jess has a breather before the next step of the plan. They talk about the best restaurants in London, Jess's new clothes that arrived from Milan yesterday, and why the men she fancies never like her. By the time they finish eating, Jess has ordered glasses of Chenin Blanc as, It's nearly lunchtime anyway. She takes a huge swig of the wine, which seems to go to her head, Olivia notices. At exactly half-past twelve, in the middle of one of Jess's stories about a failed dating night, a man approaches them and stands beside the table. Jess continues the story, too used to ignoring people around her, as they're mostly inconsequential. "'Hello, Jess,' he says. She stops mid-flight and looks up. For a second she can't think what to say. Scott, is all she can mutter at first. Then she adds, This is Olivia, my friend from our Cambridge days. Scott turns to Olivia and smiles. Do join us, Scott, she says. Scott doesn't want to say that he received a message from Jess earlier inviting him to lunch, even though he thought it was odd that the message had not come from her usual phone number. A waiter brings an extra chair, Scott sits and orders Fritura Mister immediately. 
In order for the group to avoid the question that Olivia can guess is uppermost in Jess's mind, Olivia launches into a long conversation about the best places to visit in Venice, while pretending she hasn't made the link between the man called Scott in front of her and the body left at the palazzo. As the topic runs out of steam, she maintains the pretense. "'What do you do, Scott?' she says. "'Rito,' he says. "'High-end kitchenware, Italian designs, made in the Far East, then shipped back to Italy.' "'Was there a hint of sarcasm there?' says Olivia, flirtily. She can feel Jess's discomfort. "'Not at all,' he says. "'That's the reality of business these days. "'What about you?' "'She's a lawyer,' interjects Jess. He nods thoughtfully. "'Useful?' "'I'd like to think so,' she says, smiling at him. "'If I need a lawyer, I'll get in touch,' he says, but Jess doesn't allow the intimacy to continue. "'We need to be going, actually,' she says. "'Don't we, Liv?' "'I'm fine.' says Olivia. She can see Jess weighing up her options to stay or go. So Olivia goes for broke. How did you two meet? she says, innocently. Our fathers know each other, says Jess. Our dads work together, says Scott, not seeing the way the conversation is going. Paddy has run a number of companies, says Olivia. This was the big one. British Tin says Scott. Olivia creates a fake pregnant pause. Oh, you're Scott Goodman, she says quietly. Sorry, I didn't know. My condolences. I met your brother the day before. Thanks, he says. His eyes narrow. I understand now. He said to me he'd met Paddy's lawyer at some drinks party. Jess is unusually quiet. Did you see him after the party? We're in the same hotel. He arrived back late. We had a drink at the bar, says Scott. A statement Olivia knows to be false. Which means he is hiding the real moment that they had that conversation. A tragedy, says Olivia. He was involved with all sorts, though, says Scott. What do you mean? Jess says nothing but shifts in her seat causing Scott to look at her. Just things he said on that last day. Things that would have got him killed. He led his own life, says Scott. What did he do for a living? Import-export. Did some of my shipments from out east. What else did he ship? I don't know, really, says Scott. All sorts. Do you know anyone who would want to kill your brother? Live, really, says Jess. I don't think that's appropriate. The man only died a couple of days ago, for God's sake. Olivia looks at Jess but doesn't react and turns back to Scott. It's fine, he says. I don't know, Olivia. You never saw anything dodgy over the years? No. Olivia's phone buzzes on the table with a message. Excuse me, she says. It may be Paddy. She turns the phone over, but it's from Nicole. The message says, Call me urgently. Found evidence. I need to make a call. Sorry, she says, standing up and walking along the waterfront, 
away from the two others. "'Hi, Olivia,' says Nicole. "'Are you around? I wanted to tell you what I found on Ted's computer. I hope you'd be in the office today. "'Anything meaty?' "'Yes, documents about payments. Have you heard of Caramore?' says Nicole. "'No. What is it? It's the name of the folder where these documents were.' "'I haven't heard of it,' she says. "'I'll come to the office. Ted isn't around, is he?' "'He's taken leave for a week,' says Nicole. "'Really? Hasn't he got the painting payment to sort out?' says Olivia. "'Long story,' says the woman on the phone. "'I'll tell you later.' When Olivia returns to the table, Jess and Scott have had a chance to agree a plan about what to say. "'I need to get away,' he says as soon as she returns to them. "'A meeting.' "'Another bad liar,' she notes. "'Useful information, which she'll remember. "'Here's my card, Scott,' she says, handing him her details. "'Get in touch if you need any legal advice.' He smiles at Olivia. I may just do that, he says, and walks away. Olivia turns to Jess, whose face is flushed with anger. As Olivia walks out of the lift into the Cornish Enterprises offices on Caligoldoni, Nicole springs up and starts to tell her what she's found, but Olivia stops her and says they should go through it carefully, together. Nicole sets up the big screen in Paddy's office to display the photos of Ted's papers, and the women sit and stare at a large version of the spreadsheet from the Caramore folder, trying to make some sense of the labels and numbers. So we have months across the top, says Nicole, and a payment due row with three numbers across six months, and that corresponds with the word doc that says there were three payments, but not monthly says Olivia. The words say monthly, the numbers every other month. What's this plan B? No idea, but there are three larger payments on that row. Maybe the monthly payments are plan A, and that's a backup set of payments, says Olivia. They are silent, trying to figure out more meaning from the numbers. Then she says, let's go back to my three questions from the whiteboard. Nicole's eyes are wide in expectation. First, who paid Roger Thorne? Says Olivia. The spreadsheet doesn't tell us who, only how much. I know from another document in Roger's folders that it came from a numbered bank account, but there's no name. Next, what was he doing for the money? Making the deal happen, I guess, says Nicole, to which Olivia nods. Lastly, is Ted part of it? She turns to Nicole, who looks sad momentarily, then remembers the conversation over dinner with him, and her mood shifts. I'd say yes, says Nicole. I'd say they worked together on it, went to Closters together, and the money was for them both. Any evidence? says Olivia. I didn't tell you what happened the other night. Go on. I told Ted that Roger was corrupt. And he blew up. What did he say? Just ranting crazy about Roger being dead and me accusing him. Doesn't sound like Ted, 
as Olivia. He seems so together and calm. I've never seen him even get emotional. I hit a nerve. You hit more than that. You hit on part of the truth. And he didn't like it. They find nothing more from the TED documents and call it a day. They both leave the office. Nicole for her flat and Olivia for the Cornish's palazzo. Olivia goes down to dinner just before seven. But as she approaches the dining room, she can hear raised voices. She doesn't want to barge in, and although she stops in the corridor, she can still easily hear the words. "'You need to sort out your bloody life,' says Philip. "'My life is fine. It's yours that needs sorting,' says Anna. "'I've got thousands now,' he says. "'Thanks to your contacts.' "'And so you owe it to me to share the profit,' says Anna. "'I did all the bloody work. "'You wouldn't have got any money without me. "'You're just some junkie,' he says, dropping his voice. "'I could bust your little deal wide open, Phil. "'Don't you forget that.' "'He says nothing in reply, "'but pours himself another whisky from the decanter on the sideboard. "'Olivia leaves it a minute.' then continues her journey into the room. Her brother and sister-in-law have calmed their anger and are standing in silence, both looking out of different windows, as they drink. Nothing more eventful happens during the meal, but the tense atmosphere remains in the room. After the food has been served and cleared away, Olivia needs to get out of the place, just for a few minutes, and she makes her excuses. She walks to the front door and steps out into the coolness of the Venetian evening, then walks and stands next to the water, looking at the dark that stretches out into the distance. And she takes a deep breath out, then steps back to the outer wall of the Palazzo Mandola and leans on it. A solitary vaporetto ploughs through the water on the far bank, and she closes her eyes and lets the evening relax her nerves. A gloved hand is across her mouth without warning. She can feel a man's arm across her upper body, holding her still. She opens her eyes. He's wearing a traditional Venetian mask from the parades. A white face with gold decoration around black eyes. A heavily jewelled purple jester's hat is perched on top. She pushes against his strength, but he has a firm grip. He brings his mouth up close to her ear, and she struggles again, but to no avail. His voice is slow and threatening. Be careful what you uncover, young lady. We wouldn't want another death at the palazzo now, would we? She turns her eyes to the dark spaces where his eyes would be, but she can see nothing through the mask. He pushes her hard and she falls away to the ground, scraping her hand on the wall as she passes. She turns her head, but he is gone. <laughs>